Hello, and welcome to the next episode of First Class Cities, a podcast where learning about the people and programs that make communities, large and small alike, more livable and more lovable. I'm Pete Olson with the town of Yorktown, Indiana, and with me is... Clay Johnson, the city administrator for Lincoln, Illinois. And uh, thank you all for joining us on our third podcast episode uh, of First Class uh, Cities. The uh, first one has gone live. Clay got it up the other night and is working on getting the second one. And here we are recording the third one. So we're we're kind of beating the average of what we thought we were going to be doing. So, uh, Clay... Um, Everything seems to be going well, and we're enjoying doing this. So, you know, as I as I just mentioned a few seconds ago, it, um, we're a little further than I thought maybe we'd even get. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe it's just the 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 topic or or whatever you want to say. We're we're excited about what we're talking about. Um, we've got the two earlier podcasts on uh, SoundCloud and Google Play. So, if you get a chance, check those out. If this is your first podcast and uh, tell us what you think, and we'll hopefully make the future ones better. Yeah, and I, I know we've got some friends uh, that uh, I was able to forward them on to, so I know we've got people that are listening, and we appreciate those folks. Um, and, uh, in fact, a few of them I know uh, we may even try and get on here in the long run, some other municipal managers and uh, and friends of both of ours that uh, that when we were talking about doing this, uh, we're uh, in and saying, hey, you know, this is a good idea. Keep going. So, so the goal tonight is, uh, is kind of twofold. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about playable communities and, uh, we're going to talk kind of in the traditional sense and maybe a little bit of the non-traditional and I'm not sure non-traditional is the best word for it. Um, and then, you know, we talked about it in the last episode, how technology is changing that and how, and and so what I see is the evolution of playable cities. And then I'm guessing that we're going to spend the the largest amount of time talking about an article that uh, Clay, you had found and and we've read and and kind of reviewed and um, a gentleman kind of makes the case against playable cities and uh, is something that uh, I, I think both of us kind of struggle with in, in the essence of uh, I understand what he's saying, but I don't necessarily agree with what he, what he, he is getting at in the end. And so we'll kind of talk about that. And um, I may try and take his side a little bit in our discussion. Uh, not sure I'll be comfortable doing it. I, but uh, it kind of gives us a, a point counterpoint. So um, to start with, though, you know, let, let's kind of talk about and break down what we think are, um, you know, the playable communities. And, and so these are the are not playable communities, but the, the playable aspects of communities. And so these are the things that have kind of started to move you past um, the point to point travel of using a road. The uh, the police officer coming and patrolling by your house, the fire department, uh, you know, getting a cat out of a tree, those things that are, are kind of the, that base layer of, of the 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 hierarchy of cities and and now we're asking citizens and and kids and and uh, and their parents to interact with the communities and so you know to start with it, it starts in the parks district typically for most communities and that's a 
that's an area where you know it may be a softball or a baseball football field and and kids are participating in a in an organized activity or or it's in a park with a with a playground equipment with swings and slides and and uh, and you know parents are taking their kids there and pushing them on the swings or or trying to burn off some of that en- energy or or it moves on and maybe it's the it's the the performance stage that's in a in a downtown park where you're having uh, performances so that people while they're out and in your downtown are enjoying uh, some type of music and interactivity and so th- those kind of become the pay- the base layers uh, of that playable community and 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 there's some evolution to it but um, you know those things. Uh, once you've done that base layer of uh, uh, of the general police and fire and and roads and and zoning and 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 everything, this is now where people are interacting with the community and 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 I think this is what starts to to drive that people really do love their communities and you know that's um, that's kind of the premise the, that that base premise of ours is is we've got to get people interacting with community communities and it, it can be downtown it can be in a park it can be in a neighborhood but they've got to interact and so um you know clay adding to that or you know i, I suppose i'm maybe missing some things but you know think about a community and and tell us uh, you know when you see or how you see people interacting how important that that playable aspect is and and uh, what we can do to make sure that those opportunities uh, are uh, are abundant in our community well, I want to take a maybe a, a different approach as to the definition of the playable city, or maybe it's even a, a step of how did we get to this point to even define what a playable city is? And I, I think what we are seeing here is the equal and opposite reaction to the suburb movement that occurred in the late 70s. And in the 1980s, um, we've seen those uh, um, wonder years type neighborhoods where all the residential units are cookie cutter and they they promote a certain lifestyle outside of the urban core of a community and not that of the rural community that that may be quote unquote separated from civilization. I think that this is the equal and opposite reaction to that lifestyle. There's there's a certain amount of, I don't know, uniformity and almost a, 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 a sterile look to that cookie cutter approach that we see from a, a, a bird's eye view. And that suburb movement has gotten a negative name towards it. And for a lot of good reasons, but now communities are saying, well, rather than just get people here, what are we going to do with them once they are here? And I think that's where the playable city has kind of taken a rise. So not only do we need to have housing stock, because housing stock is almost now not, a, not an issue, at least the, the supply of it, it is what is going to be different about where we live than the community next to us or the community that's a few miles down the road. And this is, 
the playable city has almost become recruitment and attraction for um, young families and even people who may be in their retirement age. As and, and we can get to another kind of controversial name in the in the local government world, and that's Richard Florida. Richard Florida wants people uh, or wants cities to focus on the creative class, and who who the creative class is could be different. But typically, Florida refers to them as young, yuppie types who might be into um, the, the, the arts or the amenities of life and not, may not be so concerned with the roof over their head. They want to have an experience and not just to live their life day to day and come home, go to work, and repeat. So... This is going to be a little, I think that this is the, the pendulum swinging in the other direction. It is a new way to look at cities, to engage your community, to attract people who are on the outside. And what makes it even more important in this day and age is that suburb communities and urban core communities are having to find a way to attract a a new population moving from rural areas because it is statistically proven that people are moving to the larger urban communities. So they have to find a way to appeal to a a new demographic that they may not have had to appeal to in the previous years. So, and and I agree with you there, there obviously with the urban sprawl, uh, that that you mentioned and and the the flight that moved from the the large metropolitan communities out into the suburbs um, they moved for a lot of a lot of reasons socioeconomic and and obviously uh, some other other opportunities but but also um, a, a different way of living, and and so you get that. But I think even in the seventies, they had to set up something that was attractive. Uh, there had to be a reason that you wanted to move from downtown Chicago to uh, to to Niles or to Skokie or to um, one of those areas. And 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 I think we still continually see that. And, and while we talk about Florida and we talk about this younger generation of individuals who want to interact with their community and, and want to experience it in, that, in a different way, I'd still make the argument that of a lot of those folks, as they um, mature through life and, and they go through that maturation process, that, yeah, they might not be getting married Right away, uh, like their grandparents or or um, you know parents or or older folks, they're still going to get married. They still like the opportunity for having and owning a home. They still like the opportunity for having good school districts, for having areas where kids can congregate. And and, and you're correct. I I think the premise of having a playable community. Um, it, both in a traditional and a non-traditional way uh, is important. And, and, you know, so as, as I mentioned, you know, it's the organized sports and I, I see it in, in Yorktown, you know, we built a sports park uh, back in, in the 2000, 
2008 to 2011 time frame and 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 very much um it was appreciated by the community because we had 500 kids playing bat- baseball or 500 kids playing softball or 500 kids playing soccer or and I think it's uh, you know 800 to 1000 kids now playing volleyball and and you know and then we've added trails and everything else and so um, that is one of those recruitment tools uh, we're you know, three miles from Interstate 69, we've got low, low cost of living, and and so parents can you know maybe drive down to Indianapolis, drive up to Fort Wayne. They're they're mobile, but their kids are going to get that good school and everything else. So, so I still think that some of um, some of that movement from city centers is still happening, and and will still ha- happen as as people mature in their process. Uh, but on the same hand, and, and this, as you and I've talked before, and as I've even mentioned, I came from a really small community in Northwest Kansas, and I, and so you know you're right. When I went to school, it was a population of a eleven or twelve hundred, and now it's down to eight hundred. And you know, the corporate farming has taken over, and you know, the the people that used to own five hundred or 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 a thousand acres of farm farm fields have sold out and they um or or they've they've bought out and th- they've got five or six thousand because the equipment and, and everything else is is able to um handle doing more acres and they've got so they've got that five to six thousand acres they're a corporate farm and instead of having six or seven kids that take over and help with it you've got one kid that's now doing that and so um there is something there. So, you know, as we talked about those playable cities and the reasons that they're important to have, it, it is that recruitment tool. It is something that we want to set up and, and make sure that that families and um, and young people coming out of college are, are looking at and saying, yeah, if I can live here and I can I can get a job and I can still get to or from that job, I'm in good place. I'm going to disagree with you in part, not where not where your sentiment is, but one of the comments that you made in that, you know, there is a a generation of people who are looking to uh, leave their job, or I'm sorry, leave college and go find a mate and go find a house and then build a family and so on and so forth. More and more traditionally, we're finding that people aren't wanting to do that. And um, that they're actually moving towards renting because we've seen a number a number of studies that have come out that said that renting is on the rise and that home ownership is actually on the, on the decline. And um, much of that has, to, I think there's a number of reasons for that, none the least of which is the 2008-2009 housing crisis. But um, moving, moving past that, I think that the rental situation is a, is a definite indicator of why having the playable, quote-unquote, playable city is important. So moving from that, I don't like the definition. I don't, I'm sorry, I don't like the moniker of a playable city. I think that that is trivial. I think that that kind of marginalizes what's truly trying to be described here. I think that it is, that playable truly means a uniqueness about your community and engagement about your community that makes it more attractive to all of its residents, not just those who might want to live there. It's about the people who already live there. And I think that going back to my previous comment about 
um, some suburban landscapes being sterile, I think that the playable moniker is is more important when you look at it from an engagement standpoint and from a uniqueness standpoint. It's not playable like a playground. And I think that's the first place my head goes. So I think the the casual person may think that as well. And I think more in terms of unique and engaging. And that can take a number of different forms like you were talking about. But those people who might be more transient in their life, whether they're at the beginning stages of their careers or at the end stages of their life, they're looking for something that's different and something that they can attach themselves to. And why can't their uh, their their urban landscape, their suburban landscape, their rural landscape, why can't they reflect some of those uh, ideals that they hold uh, dear? Yeah. Yeah, and 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 I'm I'm thinking we're probably going to be in a in a spot to to agree to disagree. I'm going to go back to your early comment about um, how we see rentals on the rise, and 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 that's true. And and but I think there's a couple things, and 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 I think you hit on it. You know, um, I think this current generation and and in uh, in the shape that the economy was. Um, back in the in the oh seven oh eight oh nine and, and coming forward, um, it, it delayed a lot of life decisions for a lot of people. They were going to college and not getting out and getting jobs because of this this state of the economy. I, I think the economy um, and you know we obviously aren't uh, aren't, aren't going to sit here and 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 tell you that the economy is 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 fixed to to whatever extent extent. Um, because that's a community by community basis, but but as the economy changes, I still think that people are going to one gravitate to where there are jobs, and two, I think yeah, just because they aren't getting married at twenty two, they may get married at twenty five or twenty seven or twenty nine, and and I'm not sure that we know what the effect of that is going to be. I, I I think in the long run you're not going to see and and. You know, we're probably not going to see families of twelve again, but we we're still going to see families. You know, people fall in love and they they have kids and and um, they want them to to have those same opportunities. And so, as we battle back from it and as we continue to move forward from it, I think we'll have it. But but I think your premise and 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 you know, moving forward from that is. Is is making communities unique, making them desirable to live in, which is you know part of what we talk about every every time we sit down to do this, is great. And you know, last time we mentioned um, the little downtown celebration that you all had uh, and had some businesses put in. Um, for us, it was talking about putting in um, and having the movies in our park, and that's all. Uh, that's all good, and and so you know now we're talking about that playable aspect, and and yeah, you know we start with, and and it does start uh, whether it's in a park or green spaces, maybe that playground equipment. But what's next, and and so you know is is it public art that's interactive? Is it is it a is it a uh, a structure that is actually kind of a playground, but it, it's more artistic in nature, or you know is it. Um, and there's a little town in Illinois, and Clay, you may be able to tell it. It's it's uh, it's got the the largest golf tee, the largest uh, rocking chair, the largest wind chimes. It's right on 
um, 70 as I drive through. And, you know, it, it's made its own kind of niche and name. Um, and, you know, my wife and I drove through it and we're like, hey, we want to, you know, we want to get a picture in front of every one of these pieces of art. Uh, or, you know, and we call it art, but somebody may go, oh, that's kind of kitschy and everything else. And so, um, <laughs> Yeah, and 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 I promise you, folks, we're going to have a discussion about kitschy items on a podcast. It's one of the ones that I have uh, I've I've earmarked that uh, here in the next few, we're going to talk about um, kitschy things that make communities interesting. Maybe not the best title, but um, but but you know there are those opportunities, and so you know I suppose the one thing that that you know, we talk about these suburban communities needing to change. And, and I'd wonder, is that driven because metropolitan communities have figured out that they've got to change too? I mean, um, you know, when you lived in Indiana and we're down in Indianapolis, you probably went to Mass Ave and they had the, had the little LED um, sign with the little gal dancing. So, you know, as you walk by it, it was there. Um, it, you know, last week we talked about Cloudgate and the Bean in Chicago. Uh, we've, we've been to other locations where they've got um, – art that's interactive or, or whatever else. And in fact, I'll go so as far as to, to remind you that uh, last year, um, not not in Kansas City, but in Seattle, uh, you and I uh, ended up at the top of a uh, of a, play, a piece of playground equipment in, in Seattle that uh, was kind of a rope structure <laughs> uh, outside the EMP Museum, which, um, you know, the only reason we did it was because it was late at night and there weren't a lot of kids around, but we were having a ball. And, uh, you know, to see a 40-year-old and a and uh and 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 somebody in their in their late late early 30s early early 30s 30s. thanks i (laughs) i couldn't remember you know climbing up there i'm I'm guessing was not a great side i'm sure there's pictures floating around but uh uh you know those kinds of things make it playable and and you know for me and i suppose this is because of the situation that i i am in um you know, my wife and I don't have kids, but so as my professional obligation goes, I understand that we've got to build communities that are attractive to, to kids and adults alike. But but when we talk about these millennials that want to locate, how do I uh, how do I design a community that that also then maybe just talks to those guys, um, those folks in, in their in their early twenties, early to mid twenties, and get them to move in. <laughs> That's that's a loaded question. I think um, I wow. Um, going back to your your previous point about did the metropolitan communities figure it out first? I think probably on the whole, the answer is yes. And that's a little depressing for me to even say that you know the what we would consider consider the large leviathan type communities of the chicago's the the austin's the the lexington's the louisville's the um seattle's that yeah i think that they beat most people to the punch and i will say that going back to the the comment about rentals i think that that's what is attracting people to those communities first off is the fact that they can move in and they can be a part of that community relatively quickly and enjoy the resources and the attractions and and the events that those communities have had, have always had, or will have. 
And the, the, the thought of home ownership is very concrete to the generation that follows me. And I think that that frightens them to some extent. So that's why I think in part the rental process, the rental um, movement is a, a component of what we're talking about here. And, and I guess the question has to become, for those who aren't the Chicago's, the New York's, of the world, what is it that the smaller mid-sized communities can do to attract and retain that group of people to make sure that the the long-term future of their community is viable? And that's what the, the playable moniker means to me, is what inventive things are communities doing to attract people, to retain people, and make them realize that there is something here for them. And some people view that as frivolous. They view that as the those things aren't important. You should be providing roads. You should be providing um, good water. And the answer to that is absolutely. That is, that is not the, the thrust of this question. The question is, the question is why are small communities, rural communities, small towns dying and becoming smaller? And in part, uh, we have to figure out that answer. And I think that a component of that answer is you have to figure out how to be different. And just offering public safety or fire or water is not enough in this day and age. What are you doing to self, set yourself apart? I I think that's I I, I think you're on and 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 so you've kind of led into the thrust of the article and and it's an article by and, and I apologize I had it pulled up on my iPad here. Um, let me get it so we can get the author and and give him his his due respect because it, it's a good article. Um, it's by Fergus O'Sullivan, and, and it's called The Problem with Playable Cities. And, and we'll post it on our Twitter page and, and our Facebook page so that people can kind of know what we, we're talking about. Um, and I think we should point out that if Fergus O'Sullivan wants to come and be a part of, thir- <laughs> of First Class Cities, then we absolutely welcome the opportunity to talk to him. Not in a combative way, but I'd love to hear his thoughts on the problem with playable cities. Yeah, and, and that's true. And if this somehow gets to him and and we're reaching it, that would be wonderful because um, he, he did write it. And, and you know, and I, I can relate to Ferguson uh, or Fergus um, in, in a lot of ways because, you know, I think down deep he's saying, hey, look, just because a city can appear dreary doesn't mean that it doesn't offer – the things that we need to live and survive, and we're gonna doing some of the 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 kitschy or the fun or or you know setting other stuff up probably costs some tax dollars. Definitely costs time and effort and maintaining, and you know maybe takes away some space that could be utilized. And so I view him probably more as a utilitarian. And so you know thinking about Fergus's concept of gray cities being 
utilitarian and doing what they need to do is not an unheard of premise. Um, the problem that you and I have, Clay, with them is, is that we know that cities that have massive population, um, and, and you talked about whether it was the Chicago or the Lexington or Louisville's or wherever else, um, if they lose population, and, and obviously in the extreme cases like Detroit, it's a problem, but if they lose a little bit of population, it, it's not a big deal because they've probably all grown in the suburb. But in our small communities, if we start losing population, uh, and, and I go back to that example of my hometown, they are, they're, they're hurting. You know, that that's massive. When you lose a quarter of your population, you're probably talking about assessed valuation loss. You're definitely talking about jobs that have been um, maybe outsourced uh, because of, of um because your company is has joined with another company or has just gone away and so we want we believe you know that interacting has got to be there and I, and I'm going to go back to the premise and I and I and this is probably where I agree with Fergus um you know the great city offers the job it offers the place to live uh, it it gets you the basic needs of you know finding a job getting you place to place providing a, a safe secure environment for the most part um and you're allowed to live and you're allowed to make choices and so he's saying you know i can i can see the beauty in that because that's that's who I am, but as, as you and I, as individuals, we're not necessarily there. You know, you and I, we want we want the new microbrew, or we want that um, that playground structure for for kids because we want them to interact and to have fun and to smile. Because bringing joy brings people together. Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to let you kind of give your bent on it. <laughs> um, at the core of his message, like you said, he's 100% right. There are structures and um, things in place to our cities that make them workable, attractive, and good for the public. Having safe roads having good sidewalks, having uh, infrastructure in place that has that provides clean water. Those are absolute necessities, which we talk about in our first episode. And those communities also usually have some sort of aesthetic qualities that are unique and attractive and, and uh, appeal to people who are from that area or from that time period, whatever you want to say. He, he, he is absolutely right in that regard. But what I think he misses is um, a modern spin on the, the local government and, and, the, and the community as a whole. He even admits in his article that, I, that he is approaching this with um, some sort of coldness and... Um, a, a, a lack of, uh, I, I guess, the curmudgeon. Maybe that's using your word is, is probably yeah. the best yeah. one. Um, but nobody, I won't say nobody, that's probably a very broad generalization. 
people aren't attracted to cities because they have stop signs located in the right places and traffic lights that are working and direct traffic at 100% efficiency all the time. At least that's not why people are moving to communities today. And the other thing I think uh, that, that he discounts in his article is something that you alluded to at the very beginning, um, and we didn't really take a spin on that, but the, the social media aspect uh, of this, the interaction aspect of the engaging city, and that is, yeah, he, he, he points out that cities are beautiful in their current in their current state, they are wonderful the way they are. They have wonderful skylines and wonderful architecture and things that should be noticed. But the problem is, is that more and more of us are distracted from that type of appeal. We're looking at our phones, we're talking with one another, or we're just so busy getting from one place to the other that the, the, the broader view of our communities gets lost. And... We have to do something to try to appeal to a broader demographic. And having unique things that are um, that are individual to our communities is important. And if if he just wants to leave things in a very utilitarian manner and just have skylines and streets and stop signs, Will his city function? Sure. Will it continue to function over the long haul? I'll contend that it doesn't. Yeah, I, so I want to interject something here, and, I, and I'm just kind of perusing it as, as you're talking, and, and, and there was something else in there that popped out, and, and, and I, want to take your, I want to get your take on this. He basically makes an inference um, that the people that are planning these playable cities are trying to lead people. Um, maybe, nef- I, mean, I mean, I almost read it as that we're doing it nefariously. Hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, that, that we're trying to lead them to be um, not happier, but to maybe drive them to a certain social acting way or or that uh, that that we've got some kind of hidden agenda and and, and I don't think that's true um, you know, unfortunately in the world we distrust each other right now so much and that's something that we've talked about you know just briefly and and, and I don't want to stray into that but you know I don't think our intentions as, as municipal managers or whatever else is, is um, it, it, to use that word again, nefarious. Our, our goal isn't there. It's it is to find a way so that people love it and want to interact with it and and want to come to it and, and and you know spend spend your dollars at our restaurants and and our shops downtown or or out, or out in, in other areas or, or play at our golf courses or or play baseball at our baseball fields. We we want those things. And and yes, I, I think there is something to be said about. Um, you know, having places where people can be active, um, you know, also helps police officers. You know, instead of just having uh, having kids that are out roaming around, you give them something to do. Um, yeah, maybe it's wrong of me to say, but, you know, that, that takes their energy and, and pushes it somewhere. But it, it helps them acclimate into society, and, and that's important. And so, you know, by saying, oh, this is what they're trying to do, I don't 
I don't think we're trying to herd cats in one direction. I, I, I think there's a spot where we all know that, hey, maybe downtown Chicago isn't for me, but it, but, but if I go north or I go out to Navy Pier, it's for me or, or something else. Well, you know, in Yorktown, I, I, like I said, I don't have kids, but I, I love to run the trails, and and so you know, I, I get a different utilization of that sports park. Um, and, and it's still one of the best benefits, and it still adds value to our community. So, so you know, the bent that I that I disagree with him there really does. Um, that one probably bothered me, and especially when I read it the first time, I'm like, no, we're not doing this just to 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 hurt you one way. Right, and I think that again, if you're coming from a uh, Coming from a standpoint where the local government or the hospital or, or whatever institutions are in place are trying to drive you towards a certain action, um, that's not necessarily the case, as you've already pointed out. You know, he mentions the the danceable crossing, the the sidewalk crossing, if you will, um, in one of these communities, and it's not meant to. Um, it doesn't force you. That's the thing that it, he almost makes it sound like the suggestion that you have to dance across this intersection um, is a, a demand that everyone must uh, must do. And that's that's not what this is about. I think that it's just trying to point out to you that this is this is different. Live your life different. Um, think about your life differently. If there is a public health standpoint to that type of behavior, then that's all the better. I think that it's just kind of a, a, a wake up to the community or, or to that particular person to say, enjoy yourself. That's the message that you want to send. You know, it's no different. Truly, it's no different than Coca-Cola doing Christmas commercials. Because let's be honest, what does Coca-Cola have to do with Christmas? Nothing, but it's about promoting a feeling of Coca-Cola being about the family and about camaraderie and about tradition. That's what they're trying to get across. Why can't communities get across the same type of thing of let's be enjoyable, let's be a part of the people's lives rather than a passive landscape for people to get to and from work. You can be a part of their life you can be an active part of your life, something that attracts you and makes you um, want to be part of the community and not necessarily try to direct them in a big brother sort of way towards a way of thinking or doing. Yeah, I think that's a very fair point. I I, I want to add one more caveat, and he, he doesn't necessarily say it outright, but I think he does have something to it, and especially as I think about it from a large and small community aspect and and so um the the one thing that that as he kind of talks about people you know having that um that heard heard you towards something he almost makes reference that you know there's companies that are uh philanthropic in nature and are giving and and they're philanthropic yes for the record um that that are giving the 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 dollars to help set some of these up, and, and so, anyways, these companies aren't 
in a position where they're, you know, trying to, I don't see somebody trying to drive us to, to, you mentioned Coca-Cola. Yeah, they're, they're advertising it on TV because it's still going to get somebody to buy Coca-Cola. But, you know, um, I'm not necessarily going to go use Jay Pitzker's building contract company because they put in the, the Pitzker pavilion in, in downtown Chicago. They do it because they understand that creating environments, that are pleasurable to people will help attract people to the, to that community to help. And so where I was ultimately going is, 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 is it unfortunate that you have some of those larger communities where have a mass of folks um, that have accumulated the dollars that have that understanding and put foundations together. And, and so the problem that we have in smaller communities is, is that we've got to go out and kind of make our own, um, our own luck in that way because you just don't have um, you, you've got people that have, have been successful and they give but they get tapped for everything you know in a community of 15,000 people when I when I call and I'm asking them to sponsor a, a, a road race they're like man I, I've gotten hit by every every race or I've gotten hit by every cheerleader or every every football athletic team or whatever else and so you know that pot of drawing everybody together or drawing so that everybody can do things just becomes that much tighter and and so and I'm sure that the larger communities have that I mean there is an exponential growth that that obviously happens um, so so you know there's where I I struggle not not because our community um, doesn't doesn't have everything that a larger community has but how do I implement some things and how do I find the the fun things to do at a, at a reasonable price without Putting a, a taxable burden on our community um, that is not that's not sufficient, and, and so you know if if you're going to make an argument that the playable cities goes too far, I think that's a better argument than oh they're trying to get us to be more active and and be healthier. Yeah, it's be or don't be. You know, if you don't like it, don't don't bounce up and down the stairs and and play. Uh, play something on the musical stairs or or don't dance through the crosswalk just walk through it and people are going to let you go that's my bent i think that your point is well taken in the fact that is the playable city here for everyone no and it but it might attract one or two percent more people than your landscape would have otherwise and my final point against mr o'sullivan is Central Park or Grant Park. If he were right that playable cities wasn't important or wasn't a factor of what attracted people, then there's no need for those things. There's no need for a green space, an active green space, in the midst of your urban landscape. And if that were the case, then we can go with his multi-shades of gray uh, community or, or urban area to offer all the things that are, uh, are that its population is looking for, but that's not the case, and so that's why we offer parks. That's why we offer basketball courts. Not everybody wants a basketball court in their community, but it is a component of what keeps people there or attracts people to their community. Not everybody needs a playable, an adult playable playground. I would agree with that, but that's a component that, you know, the community may use to attract more people to its area. So, yes, 
It is not in the core services of the community to offer these types of things to its residents, but it might be something that appeals to one or two percent of the population or even a grander percent of the population that may otherwise not be a part of your community or may be looking to go elsewhere. So you have to think about who are those people on the margins that want to live here or who don't want to live here and how do we retain them or how do we attract them to our community? No, I, I, I totally agree. And, and I think you, you've absolutely hit it is if you can gain another one or two percent, um, that, that's a victory because that, that's a bigger slice of pie. It's a, a, a for a community. It's a um, it's more assessed value and it, and it helps with all of those those basic services as much as it does with doing everything else. Clay, you know, we've kind of gotten in towards the end of what I think probably needs to be this podcast, but I do want to set up, and we didn't necessarily talk about um, the different types of playables and kind of the futures of playables, because I've read a couple articles here recently. So I, maybe we'll come back to, to, to that in our next episode. But, but, you know, I think this is the other thing, um, you know, and you brought in uh, Richard Florida today and, and talking about where, where people want to experience life. And I think that's important. And I, I think there's those growth areas that we know about. Uh, and, and we talked about the metropolitan areas. But how, you know, talking about how we can find ways, not even just social media, but technology, whether it's a, you know, somebody is powering a light by stepping on a, on a brick paver because it's got a little switch underneath of it that, that basically generates electricity by moving up and down. Um, and I don't understand the technology behind all that, but I, I think those things are coming. And as those things become reasonable, what our obligation as municipal managers of putting them in? And so, you know, I want to kind of ask you that last question of if 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 cost is important and it, and it is, um, is is there a percentage of your budget or and, and, and I don't think that's a fair question, but is there a percentage of your budget or when you're talking to your your council or I'm talking to my council and saying, hey, look, you know, we might spend an extra X number of dollars on this, but it's going to look good or it's going to feel good and people are going to appreciate it. Isn't there a value to that? Yes, there is absolutely a value to that, but it's not necessarily going to be one that affects you monetarily. And that goes to the the instances of public art. Yes, the city may well sponsor a piece of public art, but you, nef- you won't necessarily see that hit your bottom line on the budget. But it's going to be something that makes the people stop and realize that if if their institutions feel so strongly about their community to put something nice in it, then maybe they should take more notice of it, or maybe in turn they should try to do something nice for the community as well. So public art is not necessarily something that will hit you in your budget, but it might do something to the mentality of your community that makes people think a bit differently and engages with the community a bit differently than what we know in the past. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a fair point, and it's something that uh, that we continue to struggle with. And, and you know, I go back to um, Mr. O'Sullivan and, and that utilitarian. Yeah, there's there's always probably a, a more 
efficient way to do something with less cost. But sometimes that extra cost pays bigger dividends. And I, I, I think you, you nailed that comment really well. So why do you, I mean, I'm sure this is the case in Yorktown. Why do you ask businesses who come to your community to plant landscaping? If it were all about the utilitarian look and about simply driving building values or driving buildings up into the sky, then we wouldn't worry about landscaping. But it's those soft things that make it a little bit different that people take notice of. That's why it. That's why it's done is to soften that look and make it look attractive. Therefore, people can be proud of it. Yeah, no, you're you're a hundred percent right, and, and and we do it, and we do it in our zoning code, and and uh, you know it, it's um, it, we want it to look nice um, because aesthetics uh, affect property values as much as. Um, the transportation and everything Absolutely. else. And so, you know, if we leave with that premise of everything has an effect on a bottom line, we may just not see it right away, but in the long run, we will. I, I truly believe that. So, well, let's do this. I, I think this is a good place for us to come to a close. I, I, I do want to come back and, and I really, um, you know, want to talk about technology as it evolves and, and some of the neat things that uh, we're seeing because there's a number of things that are kind of right on the cusp but really fit into this playable that we're going to start seeing in the next five years in our communities. And so we'll leave that for the next podcast uh, episode that everybody's uh, going to be looking forward to, I'm sure. So uh, reminder, if they want to get a hold of us, Clay, the best way to do that is? Absolutely. We appreciate anyone and everyone who listens to the podcast. Uh, If you have... uh, if you have a question for us or you'd like to be involved in the conversation, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, there are two main ways to get in touch with us. One is the email account. That's firstclasscities, all one word, at gmail.com. Uh, and you can also uh, look us up on Twitter at firstclasscities. That's the handle. Uh, use the digit one as the part of first, as in first in award, and tweet at us. Uh, look for our next Uh, podcasts. But like I said, this is very user driven. This is very listener driven and we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, and and actually, um, I'm going to add one more way. We did uh, we fired up our Facebook page, and and just like our Twitter feed, it it again uses uh, the number one, and then uh, first class, and so it's first class cities with the number one uh, there also. So just on Facebook, uh, search that way, and uh, we'll get our podcast uh, episodes there, and uh, both on Twitter and on uh, and on the. Uh, Facebook page. We'll make sure that we get the article from uh, Mr. Fergus O'Sullivan on uh, on his problems with playable cities also. Who also wins for names of writers. But hey, Fergus, if you're listening, yeah. we'd love to have you. Yep, I, that would be wonderful to have, you, have him. So, Well, Clay, have a good evening, and we'll talk with you soon. Thank you, Pete. Thank you. Thank you.